Thanks for tuning in, guys. You're listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Greg Driver. I'm joined by Rahul Johnny and Leon Everett. Let's go. Hello and welcome to Ace Comicals episode number 76 and we have a full house again. I'm joined by both Ray and Leon tonight. Hey guys. Hey hey. And uh, it's been a long time since we've had you on Leon, since since we've had you around actually. Yeah, where the <laughs> hell have you been? Feels like forever man. Many moons, many moons. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been away. Um, the last, or the, the first episode that I was um, meant to miss is because I was... Um, in New York uh, on holiday for the first time, which was um, pretty awesome. Uh, it feels like ages ago now, because it was kind of ages ago. But um, no, it was really uh, enlightening. And I don't know, I felt like I was where I was supposed to be while I was there. Like New yeah. York is, I'm very much a city guy. Um, and New York is like the ultimate city um, hmm. that... And it just caters to loads of things that I love. Uh, it's pretty much a 24-7 city. And uh, where I was staying, which was um, in between Central Park and Times Square, it was just glowing in like the best way possible. Like Walking around cool. at night was the best, but walking around in the day was the best. And everything from all the different accents, uh, the different variations of accents, um, the classic sort of stereotypical New York attitude, and the fact that the cars are constantly honking at each other, like <laughs> there's no chill whatsoever. All of it just created this uh, but, urban cacophony that I but, that I really enjoy. But let's answer the real questions. Like, did you see the Baxter Building? Did you? Uh, yeah, I saw yeah. the Baxter Building. I saw the Avengers Tower. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I uh, went by uh, Forest Hills um, on the train on my yep. way into Manhattan. Yeah, didn't I didn't manage to see Spidey swinging around, but um, I, yeah. I can feel feel his presence. Did uh, Did you hear Ecto One scream past at any point? No, no, no. I, no. I think that um, October, like in the run up to. Halloween, yeah. The ghosts kind of like chill out a bit, and then I think after Halloween they get they they go a bit wild again. Yeah, you got to save your energy for that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure those guys are probably on holiday. Halloween's but, like uh, Thanksgiving for ghosts or something, or like Christmas for ghosts, where they just like <laughs> go home to their families. Well, yeah. In, if I remember correctly, in Buffy, Halloween is um, that everyone takes all the demons and vampires yeah. take, take the night off. That comes up in but, the comics as well, like Halloween, everybody chills. It's like... yes, yes, it's a cool concept. Uh, yeah. I did, I did bump into the uh, the turtles while I was there. Oh yeah, yeah. There was a, uh, a nice uh, dollar pizza store, like right around from the hotel, and uh, bumped into Leo a couple of times. It, it was cool. Yeah, it was. Um, I'd highly recommend it as a, a city to visit, and I had like a big list of things that I wanted to do. And did a very small portion of the list, despite having done quite a lot, because um, there's a lot of 
various different cultures there that I love, like the aforementioned comics, of course, but uh, my love of um, like music, um, like birthplace of hip hop, and so many things. There's a lot, a lot of history in that town, yeah, because it's one of the oldest um, cities in the US. And I did a lot of museum stuff. I did a lot of sightseeing. I ate so much food and took uh, a, many a photo, which I've still not uploaded yet. But uh, yeah, it was great. I meant, and, I meant to um, ask you about the hip hop side of things, like how yeah. much? Yeah, like where did you where did you go? Like what kind of stuff did you see related to that? Well, I think like I um, this is an area that did get a bit of short shrift on this holiday, but I did go to up to Harlem. Yep. Uh, it was horribly raining that day, so I didn't get to explore as much as I wanted to. Mm-hmm. And there was like hour and a half waits and all all the food places, but. Um, uh, made it up there. I I didn't get to go to the Bronx, unfortunately, which is the true, true birthplace. Which would like on a return there would be the number one place that uh, yeah. I'm heading to. Hopefully, bump into Desus and Miro and AOC. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I did go to Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, again, though, I just got screwed with these times because it there was a storm, so one day was super rainy, and the rest of the days were like really nice. And then there was another day that was a bit rainy, and it was a Sunday. And that was a day where uh, it put the kibosh on on going to a few uh, historical sites that I wanted to go to and like um, classic uh, graffiti spots. So all that means is that I just have to go again. So, like, yeah. what can you do? I just have to go again. Well, yeah, I, I want to go to New York. It's, it's probably food. probably one of the only places in the US I actually really want to visit. I think you'd you'd love it there. Yeah. Um, just like walking around. So I, I remember being around the corner from like uh, Midtown Comics. Yeah. Which is like a oh, yeah. store. Hmm. And there was um, a. It was kind of like a barcade, but it wasn't barcade because I went to barcade. It was, it, it was kind of like an arcade, but they had like a big screen with Smash setup and like loads of different. Like it, it was kind of like, like the new version of a LAN, and it looked really awesome. Uh, I think you had to like book if you wanted to get a proper spot or anything, but it right. was right near Rim Chinatown as well. Okay, and that's somewhere that I didn't get to go in, but uh, I definitely want to go in because it looked awesome. It, it looked like the kind of thing that you imagined you'd want to have when you were like a teen or in your early 20s. <laughs> Yeah, just your like local place that you can go in. You know everyone there, and then you've got your LCS around the corner. It, it's like the perfect zone. Oh, and like oh. the best food in the city is like that area is the best. If I was rich and in my early twenties again, <laughs> I'd moved there. That sounds lit. Did you get to go to the Nintendo shop while you were there? I did. I did, and it was a Nintendo shop. It was cool. There was some cool stuff in there. But I'm not really a um, merchandise guy. Yeah, but it's a nice place to walk around in. Like, they have the, like, mini Nintendo museum at the, uh, on the upper floor where they have, like, every old console. And, yeah. Yeah. yeah and they, stuff in there. It, one thing that was funny is seeing all the, all the like, Amiibo just in a row. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> and, like, they all laid out in quite a cool way. Did you visit many of the comic shops? Did you go into Midtown Comics or anything like that? No, I did not. I did oh, not. I did is not Midtown 
is Midtown Comics the one in Times Square? No. Oh, okay. Okay. Because I went to one really big comics book shop that was in Times Square. That was really cool. It's like huge, and it had like big um, outfits of Batman and stuff that you could buy. It was pretty funky. Oh, sweet. Yeah, I went I went into like a bookshop which had some comics and stuff as well, but I didn't go into the 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 world famous comic book stores because I just didn't mm. didn't it didn't end up having the time, and I had to split the difference between doing stuff and seeing stuff, and then spending time in in places. Uh, well, sounds like you had a great time anyway. Yeah, I, I had a really good time, and um, it was a nice break. It was good to be away from things. Yeah. Uh, and... I tried not to check Twitter too much during that time, and it was nice. So you were away, and then in between that, I was away as well, because I, I went to Budapest. And then Ray has just been sat on his own in the UK. So... Having a whale of a time. <laughs> <laughs> so more, more importantly... Uh, Leon, since you came back from New York, what media have you consumed? Well, since then, I uh, being being, I was only out there for what eight days, seven nights, and then you lose a day coming back. And um, even in that time, like, I had a million podcasts built up, but I didn't listen to any of them because <laughs> I had TV to watch, and there's been crap loads of TV. Um, so. Starting off the uh, much sort of scaredly anticipated HBO um, show Watchmen, which is a continuation, a sort of remixed semi-sequel to the comic book. I, um, I hear I hear if you say HBO Watchmen three times into a mirror, Alan Moore appears and tears out your <laughs> voice box. Well, I'm not, do I'm not doing that. <laughs> There's a mirror in this room, so <laughs> black mirrors too. But um, yeah, like just the sentence I said is quite a daunting thing that you'd never think you'd hear and you'd never really want to hear. And upon hearing uh, that Lindelof was making a Watchmen show a couple of years back after he had finished doing uh, The Leftovers, which is uh, possibly my favorite TV show of this decade. Oh, and mine. I I was like, oh, no, don't do that. We don't need another Watchmen. Like, go and do something new and original. Uh, like, don't waste. You've just given us one of the best shows ever made. Like, go and do something else that's going to be awesome as well. Don't, don't don't box yourself in doing an adaptation of uh, Watchmen. And he didn't. And he managed to do something. He's managing to do something uh, original and new. But set in the world of Watchmen because it's not an, a, a readaptation. It's a sequel, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah. it's um, it's like a decades later continuation. Yes, yeah, it's pretty much set now, and it carries on from the comics continuity, and uh, not the film continuity. And um, which is a great choice to make. Yeah, <laughs> like the show is um, like spoiler straight up. It's a recommendation for me, like just hands down. Uh, at, at this point. Uh, Five episodes have aired in in the uh, in the US. As we're recording this, there'll be five episodes out, and um, so there's obviously been a lot of discourse. People have listened to it, have already watched it, or have just heard that it's it's meant to be good. But um, like it it is uh, highly recommended. Uh, I believe it's nine parts, and it, it's it's yeah. a revelation because it's doing a lot of smart things 
using this uh, framing and contact. Yeah. Now, I know both of you have watched this, and mm-hmm. I haven't yet. Um, but does this take into account any of the Doomsday Clock stuff? No. No. It, okay. it, it's as if Watchmen, the comic events happened, and then the ending ending in 19... From the 80s year it was. Exactly. And then it skips forward to now, 2019. Yeah, and then it's just now, 2019. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, and by by doing that, you'd think that, uh, are they just going to spend the whole time like flashing back and showing us what happened um, in between that time? And they thankfully don't do that. I mean, obviously not going to go to any uh, details beyond some like really broad ones but that what they do instead is that they fill the show with world building that often isn't just someone saying what happened there's little things like even easter eggs in the background like newspaper reels um there are just just contextual things we get from people speaking i mean um that you get the idea of like what happened after the end of the book and what happened in like US politics, what happened, um, like what was the fallout from what happened in New York and um, like what life would be like three decades later. Um, And that stuff is handled so well. Okay. Yeah, it's it's not got this like attention seeking thing, which is what I was expecting from this show. Like um, where it could so easily be reverent to the book and kind of like constantly keep nudging you in the ribs saying, do you remember this? Do you remember this? It's quite, it has a surprisingly naturalistic tone to it. I think like everything seems to follow on in a, in a very expected prog- like progression. It's not bombastic. It's not, I mean, it is, but it's not doing the thing where like it's winking at you constantly through the screen. I really enjoy that. I think one of the best things that like, one of the greatest things that I think, has happened to me with this show is that I didn't know that Damon Lindelof was making it until the week that it aired. Like I knew it existed. I didn't know that it was by the same creator as my favorite, one of my favorite TV shows ever. And like, I was down, I was sour on the show up until that point in like, in a weird contrast to the way Leon felt. So I think, I think I came off quite well with that revelation being so late. In it being comics adjacent, like would be with it being what it is, like it's not just comics adjacent. It is comics. I'm I'm about to say it's comics adjacent, but it's not. It's <laughs> it's Watchmen. Like I feel like I ought to be more excited about it than I actually am. Like I feel like I wait. I, I'm I'm like looking at myself in the mirror every morning and thinking, "What is wrong with you, Greg? Why are you not that <laughs> hype about Watchmen?" And you know yeah, what I think it is. Step into the pod, Greg. Do you know what I think it is? Hmm. I think it. I think it's because I have to pay for another streaming service to watch it. And honestly, yeah, if like... I if I didn't I, if I didn't already have Now TV, I think I would buy it for this show specifically. Yeah, um, maybe yeah, I will. I, I like it that much. I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm gonna I'll, I'm gonna watch I'll, it eventually. Yeah. I'm gonna watch it eventually, and I'm probably gonna really, really, really love it. But. I think my barrier was, is the fact that well, I, think, I, don't, I don't I don't watch enough TV and I would pay for now TV and you know like like you said off pod um, a good idea would be because it's only nine episodes so once the ninth episode is aired get a free trial or <laughs> yeah or get one of those seven day things that they're always yeah. selling for like a pound 
and then mm-hmm. there's marathon the series like a netflix show yeah i could do that sit there for one saturday and just marathon the whole thing at once that'd be great but like um I, there's a lot in this that i think you'd you'd really like greg because yeah i think the genius of the show is that it takes the concepts and themes from the book and then evolves them and translates them to now so whereas Hmm. uh so it moves away from like reagan era cold war anxiety and is now uh, more about white supremacy and racial tension yeah um i got that really i got that impression from the uh from the trailer to be honest because there's like everyone wearing the uh the rorschach mask yeah and that mm-hmm. that had like a i don't know if if i'm reading this entirely the wrong way but that had like real kkk vibes oh yeah well yeah. i think you're on the money there yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um it, the thing is it, it asks a lot of questions um it manages to sort of pull us through with like mystery as well yeah. but um i think a lot of lessons has been have been learned from lindelof from his uh from say like last um on the leftovers and um, where it, his mystery box isn't at in detriment or in the way of like the core character work and the core sort of well um like main plotting so yeah i don't think it's it's going to get bogged down with that stuff and i, I believe that it's taken us in a really uh interesting and very detailed uh, destination. Yeah. Uh, I think w- uh, a good way of thinking about the show, say like in comparison to the film, which the film misses the core concepts, I feel, and themes, um, but it's it's very faithful to the book, but just yeah. like in word only. And like, I think it was mm. uh, Alan Seppenwall had a quote, which was... Um, which this is talking about uh, the film in relation to the show, where it's like um, it was like someone proving they could trace over a Picasso painting mm. without <laughs> understanding what the original artist was doing with this strange <laughs> rendering of the human anatomy. And I think mm-hmm. that that I mean I, I get enjoyment from that movie, but it's because it's um, a companion piece to the book that I love so much. Yeah, um, but there's a lot in there that has always bothered me and bothers me more and more every time I think about it. But um, I think that this show is way better than it has any reason to be. And I am excited, but now trepidatious, if that's a word. (laughs) Uh, I'm walking in trepidation. as I am fearful that we're going to get to episode nine. It's going to be great. But then there's, there's either going to be not everything's going to be wrapped up um, or you get a season two and it starts to lose steam because it's not as tight. But these are these are tomorrow's worries. And for the time being, I'm really enjoying it. And yeah, I mean, if, if all of it didn't even pull you in, the score's done by uh, like um, Nine Inch Nails. Like, oh, yeah. Trent Reznor. Yeah, you told me. <laughs> Resonant mm-hmm. and Atticus Ross are yeah, doing I mean, the score. I and think, it's a brilliant. Yeah, I think the other the other part of the like the other the other pip in the core 
of why I've not gotten round to it yet is the fact that I'm just not that much of a TV guy, as you guys know. Like, you're the I mean, TV guys. <laughs> I'm definitely not a TV guy, Greg. And, like, I, you know how much it takes for me to want to binge something, but I feel like if this was com- if this was out, dropped in one go on Netflix, I would have binged my way through it. Like, I feel- I'm... Yeah. I'm that excited about it. Um, yeah. Like to, to echo what Leon was saying about, like this, about the mystery, for example. There's it's in what to what Leon was saying about it having being better yeah. than it has any right to be. Like it's doing a thing where it's it's mysteries aren't carrots on a stick. It's not like dangling in front of you um, to like drag you along. It's kind of I don't know. I feel like it's. Um, it's just part of the world. I think he's, yeah. he's withholding just the right amount to not to like have you salivating over what's the end goal, but to yeah. have you like engaged with the world building. Like one interesting touch point that I felt while watching it was like, it's almost like they had the pieces of a Watchmen board game. You know, like when you get to create your own story out of the framework yeah. of yeah. like a world building tool set yeah. and they've done that. They've taken that fast forwarded it like leon said evolved it forward like 30 40 mm. years and then had this thought experiment about what those pieces left behind can can like, build into this new story and it's like it's done so well yeah yeah essentially yeah, yeah. Like, and it's really such a vibrant world yeah. uh, from the comics and to i don't know you get these visions of like of the world growing over that over those decades yeah. and seeing how it's changed it's it's really good see i'm sitting here like saying what i'm saying feigning how cold like i'm 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 exaggerating a little bit for how cold i'm towards like i know i'm eventually gonna watch it and i am gonna get the now tv Mm. thing and i'm gonna binge it but i'm just i want you guys to talk about it because you guys watch i'm i even though you you say you're not much of a tv guy i i still think you watch more tv than i do ray (laughs) honestly fair enough Yeah. yeah um so other than that i mean what other media have we consumed in the past two weeks i suppose I've got two things I'll zip through at the end, but I'll talk about something major. But just before I leave Watchmen, I have to say that Regina King, who plays the lead character, she is phenomenal. Uh, she is phenomenal in the show. And mm-hmm. one of the great reasons to watch it, like she's just completely earning on every level and playing quite a, um, a, a complex character, which is really nice to see. Yeah, in typical Watchmen fashion, like it's all about shades of grey. There's no, there's no stark black and white, and like she's a really good indication of that. Yeah, most definitely. Um, and the next, um, the next show uh, is uh, one that's weird to speak about because we're in a in a, in a weird area. But as I've recently been transatlantic. Um, I feel it's we have to discuss the her the armored elephant in, in the room that divides our our our, our two our two nations because you know a lot of Americans listen to this but uh, yeah like the big overlord Disney dropped their um, their streaming service that is going to consume us all hey, when hey, it reaches hey. our but territories. You got to remember that all these other places, Amazon, Disney, they'd be nothing without Netflix. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Netflix pulled them out. Pulled them out. <laughs> Just um, to reference a, a really awful meme that Leon showed me the other day. 
is that the TMNT one? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah, like yeah. Master Splinter is Netflix, and it's like it's like a really it's a really touching picture of Splinter and four baby turtles, and then like there's a picture below that of Splinter and four teenage turtles, and uh, it's like you know how he has nurtured them and turned them into what they are, like helped them grow and become the heroes that they are, and you know it's, it's basically a, a comment on. Splinter as a father figure, basically. But what what somebody's done is they've put Netflix over Splinter, and then they've put like the names of other streaming services above the other four turtles. <laughs> and uh, my god! Well, it's like they were all nascent uh, little startups when yeah. uh, Netflix joined the scene. If I, and, if I and then cringe any harder, I'll turn now. into a black hole. I will. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, after after the help from Master Netflix, um, Disney Plus has finally exploded. And one of the big draws of that, with it having lots of like their old shows on there, their old movies on there. Apparently, it has um, all of the of Star Wars, uh, the original trilogy in 4K and uh, HDR. And McClunky, like all of that. <laughs> so I'm, they... I'm looking forward to, to watching that actually because um, uh, that sounds amazing. Having the the OT looking uh, as 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 great as that. Um, I, I heard and... they messed with the hand shoots first thing again. Yeah, that's the McClunky thing that Leon mentioned. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. which it's is hilarious how it's, ha- how it's handled. But um, <laughs> it, it's uh, that was the big thing of that weekend but the other big thing is that they have a little show called the mandalorian um and i I, i've seen the first two episodes of the mandalorian and it's it's interesting because this is the big thing where because of different licensing things happening over here we uh the uk um hasn't got disney plus and won't get it until the end of march and this is one of the main things that people are like mad about. Like, there's people angry at Disney that they can't pay the money to watch <laughs> their 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 new Star Wars show. And yeah, upon watching the first episode, it was odd because I would say it was uh, quite a semi downbeat start. It's got a bunch of the stuff from the trailer where uh, a Mandalorian who like pretty much. I'm not going to go into like deep Star Wars lore, or whatever. Like, like the Fets. He looks like one of the Fets, but he's, he's a Mandalorian him. bounty hunter. He's yeah, yeah. He wears a helmet, uh, has like flamethrower things on his arms, and he goes around grabbing people. And apparently, which is in the trailer, so it's not a spoiler. Um, the Carbonite thing wasn't just a savage punishment for Han um, in um, Empire Strikes Back. Apparently, it's what they do to everyone, which feels like a very I watched Star Wars as I grew up thing, and hmm. not probably what was intended. But that's neither here nor there. I, they, I, they... I got the impression that it's what what it does, what they do to everyone. Like, I felt like when I watch Return of the Jedi and, and Empire Strikes Back, I feel like that that is like a gangster, a, a, a stereotypical gangster punishment on Tatooine, like when you get thrown into the river with concrete boots on. You know. Yeah, I guess so. If anything, it seems just more like a convenient business decision. So I guess it makes yeah. sense from that point of view. Yeah. But like, um, 
Yeah, it's quite a downbeat start because it introduces you to sort sort of world. And if you've seen Rogue One, you know sort of what it looks like. It's uh, it's so if if Rogue One is yeah, it's about the, it's the same period of time. No, no, it's, yeah, it's the same period of time, isn't it? Yeah. So after Jedi. No, no Rogue, one, Rogue One's yeah, Rogue One's pre. Uh... Yeah, so yeah, and, and then this is after, yeah. yeah. Anyway, it has that sort of rogue rogue one look. It's all dusty, sandy from the plants we're looking at. Um and yeah, it just sort of builds this world. We have this guy who doesn't speak much and he's going around being a complete badass and stuff. And I was like, Yeah, this is this is cool, ever. But I think the the thing that grabbed me initially is um the production values. They are immense. Like, this is a TV show, and, and, like, one of the highest-budgeted TV shows just ended this year, Game of Thrones. And Game of Thrones looks amazing. They did some incredible things for the realm of TV. And in the, especially in the late seasons, they had more time, bigger budget. But even then, it's like, this is TV show CGI. But, like... Watching yeah. The Mandalorian, that is movie CG. Is, Those is are the Mandalorian movie sets and visual effects. Well, Disney money, Star Wars money. But... Yeah, it is. <laughs> They've got to buy money. Yeah, apparently is... it's yeah. Uh, like 120 million for this first season. You Whoa. you make it okay. you make it sound a little bit spaghetti spaghetti westerny. It is in a way, and I, 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 yeah. I'm leading on to that. Like um, like the look of it is unbelievable, and like not just the visual effects, but yeah, the sets, the design. It all feels like they've shot a movie and then they said, oh, we've still got all this stuff. Do you want to take it? Because everything feels like real. Like, there's puppets. They bring back puppets and they're like really cool. And I'm all for bringing back the puppets. Like sometimes when you want an alien, you want it to be tangible and puppety. And they bring back puppets in this and it's really cool. And they seem to feel like the supporting cast with like really cool character actors um and a character director is it like because uh, nick nolte has a part in these first two episodes i'm not going to say who he is what he does but uh he's cool which is really cool uh werner herzog <laughs> plays i mean what? you've probably seen him in the trailer he plays uh, a character <laughs> it's like he's playing himself but in star wars land and it's cool <laughs> <laughs> it's cool i've got no complaints there well. from that. um but yeah, um, because it's in this sort of messed up period of time, uh, and everyone's sort of scattered to the scattered to the winds, it does have that spaghetti western vibe. But one of the things that I think uh, is one of the biggest boons for the show, and you see it more in the second episode, though the first episode does lay the uh, groundwork for it, is that uh, it feels like animation at times. And like uh, Dave Filoni directed the first episode and is a producer on the show, and he's obviously the showrunner of the uh, the Clone Wars TV show and the so Rebels, mm. Rebels, right? Uh, which are like um, <laughs> they're like highly highly lauded uh, Star Wars animations from the last um, last decade. And um, yeah, like a lot of the framing, um, a lot of the the action. Um, the fact that we get lots of because the Mandalorian himself is mostly alone, and just from 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 a guy who walks around with a helmet all the time, you know he's, he's not 
he's not Nathan Drake or anything. He's not uh, just dropping witty banter constantly. So you have lots of scenes, uh, big stretches of the show where there's not much dialogue at all, if any. But uh, and everything's conveyed in action and tone, and that part really works well. And even like down to the fact that the run times are, are thirty minutes instead of like hour long, it definitely feels like they've uh, taken a lot of good lessons from from animation. And I get quite a big um, like Samurai Jack vibe from it hmm. uh, in a, in a lot of ways actually, um, where you have this. You have a, a central character who uh, isn't the m- most verbose person who is trying to do one thing is being beset on by uh, loads of uh, random bad guys and is a master in their craft but is still quite human and messes up from time to time and comes across and meets all these colourful, interesting people and robots. And it is. It's like live-action Samurai Jack. Not so much in terms of the action, but in terms of the general uh, feel and and flow of the world. And, yeah, uh, that element is what kept me going, really, with the first episode, which the first episode's all right, but I don't think it was, it was amazing. But then I think the second episode, um, like, um, worked on the foundations of the first episode and sort of pulled me through and kept me going. And the second episode was directed by um, uh, the director of Dope, whose name I can't remember at the moment, but uh, I will correct it in the notes or so. But, like, um, there's a really n- like nice feel in there. We meet some other Star Wars-y races that we've met before, um, but it's sort of from a different vantage point. And I think what they're going... What it feels like with this show because it's chapter-based as well. It isn't like um, Star Wars Mission of the Week. It's like one story um, being continued each episode. And I think what we're going to see is um, sort of like, which pulls it back to this this very podcast we're on. It feels like a run, like a cool comic book run um, of like just this dude on this mission and things have just gone south and you just get deeper and deeper and deeper into into the the weird and, and dark underbelly of of this world especially a world which is sort of now lawless following the events of the movies that have preceded it yeah that um it's it's quite interesting and the, the music as well because the music the music the score for that is done by another person that i love uh, ludwig uh, goranson who oh. it, did like Black Panther, Creed, and like loads of other things, um, and um, it, it's weird because I hear some of the Creed out of all the scores he's done before this. I hear some of the Creed score in this, especially the, the <laughs> Rocky-inspired Creed bits. There's there's like a the main theme sounds like the the Rocky Creed one tracks, and in such an interesting way that the first time I heard it, I was like, this is weird. But by the second episode, I was like, yeah, <laughs> this is working for me. So I'm, I'm not sure what they're doing, but it, it, it's, uh, it's, it's working for me. Um, I, know, I know exactly what they're doing. Shared universe. <laughs> <laughs> That's that it. would be quite cool. That's what they're doing. They're, they're Creed and Star Wars. Shared universe. 
I would like to see the Mandalorian running up those steps in Philadelphia. <laughs> but, the, Man- the Mandalorian in a boxing ring. <laughs> uh, the thing is, though, like, he, they, like I, I mentioned before, they don't make him infallible. And I think that's how you humanize a character whose face you're never, ever going to see. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that Pedro Pascal does a great job. I think that this is a show that I have a feeling that each episode is going to be better than the last, just as it gets deeper and deeper into its world. And I think the very unfortunate thing is that you can go on Facebook right now if you live in the UK and have, like, the final shots of episode one up. Um, and then because episode two was out within a week um, of the first episode, so many shots from that are already on Facebook and Twitter and stuff that by the time it gets here, all the fun is going to be spoiled because it's going to be memed. But that's what happens, right? Yeah, it's unfortunate. The internet is international, even if your streaming service isn't. Hmm. Uh, it's See, an unfortunate it, symptom of the world we live in. This is where I'm going to be you, Greg, and say even when Disney Plus is released uh, in the UK... I don't think there's anything on that platform that's drawing me enough to actually pay for it, which is why I'm probably going to get to this quite late. I think it's the Marvel stuff for me that's even making me consider it right now. And that stuff's not around until yeah, like exactly winter next year. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be an yeah. early adapter. I would say that an early adopter. Uh, the adapter, show adopter. is cool, and when it finally comes to these shows, you should check it out. And if you're in, in America, you're probably watching it already. Yeah. To be fair, the uh, the Samurai Jack connection has already got me more excited than I thought. So they're putting Samurai Jack on there. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> um, and then the last two things I'll, I'll rush over because one of them you already spoken already. Uh, so uh, T Titans go to the movies. I finally caught that um, while I was on my journeys, and that's a movie that I heard good things about it in the year it came out uh, last year. I never got around to watching it, and then by the end of the year, we got the Spider-Verse, and that sort of rendered every other movie didn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> but going back, uh, Two Times Go to the Movies is pretty good. It's pretty good. Like, um, I went into it as a fan of the original Teen Titans show, which I used to watch on Cartoon Network back in the day, and I bailed when they relaunched it as Teen Titans Go, because it looked more kiddie, and it looked more like a comedy show, whereas the um, the original show wasn't even... Like, I guess it was a bit gritty, but it was still quite a kid show to a degree. But Teen Titans Go, all their eyes like became super anime, like more so than normal Teen Titans, and it seemed more jokey. And um, it, I just bounced off it. And at that time, it's not what I was like looking for. But that was probably a mistake because um, the film is like witty, subversive. It's like supremely self-aware and. At least in one scene, it's incredibly dark. Um, but in, like, funny, but really dark, 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 dark joke that you make. But um, going back, it sounds like the show is more like that. Like, it's more irreverent and more uh, meta. Because th- this thing, it's um, it's a big send-up of comics, comic book movies, movies in general, and, like, loads of other different pop culture things. And... Uh, like the other Warner Brothers movies, uh, animations that we've had in recent years, say like a Lego movie uh, and Lego Batman, 
this film um, manages to take in the whole sort of history and universe and WB's different IPs and treat them with love and affection, but also poke fun at everything. Uh, and they poke fun at everything from like the Snyderfication of a bunch of movies. Um, they poke fun at uh, like like uh, other film history at, at themselves with like the, uh, having a theme song and like it, it's um, I guess in a way you could call it a musical because it has a few musical numbers in it as it's uh, the classic tradition of like an animated comedy musical. But I think that um, it manages to handle all of those things and it's quite a, despite being fairly subversive and having jokes for adults as well as kids, it's um, quite a loving uh, film and quite pure. And yeah, it's it's just a fun movie. It's like you're in and out in like 80 minutes or so. Um, and I'd highly recommend it. It's um, directed by Peter Ryder Michel and Aaron Hoare. Bath, who are like producers and uh, half of the creators of the show. Um, but yeah, if you see it on a streaming platform, definitely press play on it because it's um, it's really good. It will be something that I will be aiming to watch. It's on my never-ending list of things I'm aiming to watch. Um, yeah, no, I'd, I'd recommend it. And um, yeah. yeah, it points to, I think Warner Brothers are doing some doing some interesting things with their IPs, like uh, Joker, which you guys have already spoken about. Um, but I would just briefly say that overall I enjoyed it. But it tries to say everything, which ultimately means it says nothing. Uh, it goes from being a subversive character study to didactic fantasy, I found. Though Phoenix is great in it. The movie looks amazing. Uh, it wears its Scorsese-era movies influences on its sleeve. Uh, and I wouldn't mind if DC made more of these one-shot type movies where they just crib from iconic films from different eras. Yeah, I, I'm down with that. Um, and I, I, I have to agree with everything you said because it, that, that's pretty much like a distilled version of everything I think we've already thought about it. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, there's one more thing I wanted to mention before we actually move on to comics. Because, you know, the point of this podcast is comics, right? And we're like 40 odd minutes <laughs> in and we haven't talked about comics yet. Only, only hey, like tangentially. On <laughs> yeah, only tangentially. But um, I just, I just, because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big Pokemon guy. I like playing the Pokemon games. And I just wanted to mention that I bought Pokemon Sword and Shield. I'm having a really good time with it. I don't understand the big deal. Like, I've been playing Pokemon games for years and years. And I get it. You have your favourites and whatever. But train something else. You know? Like, there's a whole bunch of new Pokemon being added to the game. And you want something from 10 years ago. To like, be clear, you enjoy the game and you're making a comment on all the haters right now, right? Because that wasn't yeah. super clear. Okay. Yeah. So, so I'm making a comment on the fact that, like people seem to have this thing about basically that the, the whole story is that the game does not have every single pokemon ever in it and everyone was expect everyone wanted the game to have every single pokemon ever they wanted um there's no national decks in this 
so the national decks in previous games is like the national Pokedex. So once you've once you get to the end of the game, like the end game is you get to collect Pokemon from other regions now, and you can transfer them up from other games and trade them with friends and catch them in in you know events in the game, and um, it, it pe- people enjoy that and people like to be able to have their favorites from previous games and things like that. But in this game, they've not included it, and um, a lot of people seem to be very angry about the fact that a lot of these Pokemon aren't included, and I'm I'm struggling to understand why, to be honest. Um, I don't know, man. I I, yeah. I think we might have talked about this off-cast, but, like, I was never one who felt like I had a catch-em-all. I, nev- I never wanted to, like, max out all my Pokemon and stuff. If they've given me less crap to do, I'm actually quite thankful for that. Like, give me less of the Pokemon. I'm cool with it. Well, I, I think it's more down to the fact that, like... It's not about having less to do, because it's you know it's for like, me it is. Give me less to do. Just let me enjoy yeah, the game. I mean, give like me less faff to do. Like the burden of choice, you know, like choosing what you're gonna train. Like because when you when you pick when I pick Pokemon to train, I pick six and I max out those six, and maybe I'll I'll, I'll max out a few others that I can swap in and out within that team of six, but. You know, like the burden of choice. Like you've got so many to choose from. Where do you start? Like, what do you do? Like, if I've got a new game with new Pokemon in a new region, I want to train the new ones. I want to see what they do. You know, like, where's your sense of wonder? Why? Why do you want the old <laughs> and comfortable when you can like, <laughs> you've you've got this whole new region with all these new monsters that you can train and explore. You know? I don't know. I I think I, I think you're right on on that account, and I think also the other the other argument that the the haters are making, like I think you can tell that a lot of entitled gamers don't know how game development works. They don't like the ones who complain about asset reuse or like pop in or like minor jagged shadows and stuff. Like they don't understand how hard this work is. Yeah, they don't is understand that... the amount of effort and love and like yeah energy that goes on goes into creating something like this. And I don't know. I yeah. I'm, I just, I'm not here that, to listen to that nonsense. Yeah, just enjoy the game. They're complaining about that, but I feel like that is a symptom of the fact that they don't have what they want. So I think mm. they're picking fault with the game now and they're picking things out and nitpicking because because of the fact that they haven't got all the Pokemon in the game. Mm-hmm. The thing that they wanted. The the fact that like all, that the just, Pokemon, all the that Pokemon... That was the trigger yeah, to help them yeah, like... That was, that was the catalyst yeah. that kind mm-hmm. of like, you know, set off the mood slime, if you like, so... But there we go, yeah. So yeah, that was the bad juju that set off the mood slime, and now we've got this big bubbling pot of mood slime. Uh, uh, Re Ghostbusters too, you know. Um, and there we are, yeah. So, but I'm really enjoying the new Pokemon games. I think they're great, and I think you know, if you want something cool to play, and you like Pokemon games, then play the Pokemon games. <laughs> I'm not very good at talking about games. I'm better at talking about comics, but yeah, <laughs> there we go. I just one thing I want to chime in with is just like everyone who I know who has been playing because I haven't bought it because I'm I don't think I can spare the time to like dedicate to it. I don't think I'll get as much out of it as the cost of the game uh, like yeah. asks from me. But I gather like the Englishness, the Scottishness, like just the general Britishness of the game is really interesting and fun oh it is yeah like yeah it's like i was i've been sat playing on the big tv and every time i'm just like oh my god look there's a cup of tea on the table (laughs) and things like that and (laughs) calling each other mate and stuff like it sounds great i yeah i think there's it's like i gather there's a lot to love about it i don't know if that's localization 
and they've just like really gone for it with the localization or if it's going to be like that worldwide because i would love it to be like that worldwide like all these american people playing it um and and the the english is like super english english like uk english <laughs> i would assume it's the same english as uh, for the american like english versions but i'd i'd love to see when for example legends of localization do a analysis of the yeah. japanese compared to the english i'm i'd be i'd be really curious to see it, what kind of translation decisions they made super super like super uk english mm. like I'd love to hear from you, actually. If you're playing this in the US, tell me, is it that English? You know. <laughs> or if you're listening in Japan, let us know if there's yeah. some, like, if there's things that we'd be missing not seeing original Japanese or the or yeah. localization. Yeah, because it, it. it feels like it's super geared up towards the UK. Hmm. Massively geared. But it's great. Yeah, it's fantastic. I love it. I'm enjoying it massively. So, yeah, there we go. I just wanted to be positive about that game because of the amount of negativity swirling about the internet about it at the moment. And I felt like I needed to just say something nice about it, you know. But yeah. Um, so finally, uh, a good 40 odd minutes into the... 40, 50 minutes into the podcast. Jeez. And we're actually going to start talking about comics. <laughs> so um, the first thing that um, I wanted to talk about, um, one that I read last week was Punisher Soviet. Now, this is Garth Ennis on the Punisher again. Um, and it's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool ride. Um, now, yeah, so, like, this is Garth Ennis. This is the co-creator of The Boys and Preacher. Um, and uh, to, well, I'll just read the blurb. Garth Ennis is back at Marvel and writing The Punisher again, this time with art phenom Jason Burrows of Moon Knight 303 and Crossed at his side. Um, a dozen Russian mobsters lie dead at the Punisher's feet, and he wasn't the one who pulled the trigger. And if you know Frank Castle, you know this doesn't necessarily set his mind at ease. Who is in New York decimating the Russian mob, and can it be long before they come into conflict with Frank? So it's called Punisher Soviet, and um, what's taking place right now in the comic is taking place in modern day. But from reading the first issue, I'm thinking this has ties to Frank's past in some way. Um, so someone's doing the Punisher's job for him, I guess, is the question, at the, like the kind of thing at the beginning of this comic, like someone's doing the Punisher's job for him. Um, and it is Punisher versus the Russian mob. Um, so like... The interesting thing here is what conflict could arise between the Punisher facing someone doing something very similar to him. Like, how would how does he deal with another one of him? Like, does he, you know, is he going to... This is like him looking in the mirror a little bit, I guess, is the impression I got from the first issue. And the conflict that could arise from that, maybe. Um, it's all up in the air at the minute because we're only one issue in, but these are, this is me speculating. Um... So can Frank trust this man? Uh, we'll, we'll, well, let's find out, you know. <laughs> uh, it's got this like really gritty crime thriller quality about it in the writing and everything, which I really like. I, I do enjoy me some Punisher comics in the same way that I might enjoy a movie like uh, Death Wish. You know, like the, uh, the 1970s Death Wish movies. It's like the catharsis that, that you get from watching bad things happen to bad people, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, and I know that two wrongs don't necessarily make a right, but seeing this eye for an eye justice sometimes 
I don't know, sometimes it scratches an itch. I'm not saying that, you know, it's a good thing that a guy is out killing killers. And I'm not saying that I necessarily agree with all of it. But what I'm saying is it scratches an itch and it makes me feel, I don't know, I get this like this true justice feeling from it. And and sometimes I quite enjoy reading the comics because of that. And I do enjoy The Punisher as a character, actually. I like Frank Castle as a character. Um, I like it when they get a bit more complex with him like uh in the comic that i read uh the, the punisher comic that i talked about on here before is, is where he was in vietnam like the punisher's first kill or so to speak you know the first time he ever took a life um and it just i don't know it, it just gives you this like this feeling that the balance is preserved and it's the, it's the whole revenge fantasy thing right um, and I do like the grittiness of this comic in the way that it is framed, and I like that it has a noir edge with the narration. Like, um, we're sitting in a bar, and, and Frank is painting this picture for us, and he's, you know, we're, we're getting this story from him, and it's this whole, like, this narration thing, like a noir story, which is kind of pretty cool. Um, and uh, the stark realism and clean lines of the art, the sharpness that it has about it and the muted color tones and everything, they keep it grounded and it feels it's, it's like hyper it's realism, but it's also like, um, it's realism to a point, uh, very similar to, um, Rodriguez's art on lock and key that we'll come on to later. If that makes sense to you. Uh, it's fun, but it's not too fun because it is the Punisher after all. And uh, there's some really wonderful detail in the pages. And um, there's some particularly, like, beautiful injury detail. Now, I say beautiful, but yeah. Um, so, like, when uh, there's, a, there's a point in the book where there's a massive explosion and um, you've got a guy that has been caught in the explosion and he is a complete mess. And the comic makes no secret of the fact that he's a complete mess. Doesn't hold anything back, like skin coming off, bones showing, that kind of mess, you know? And um, I, I just think it's great that 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 level of detail in the art. And the level of detail in the art elsewhere as well, like some of the... Um, there's like panels where there's a car crash and you just get like the complete crumple of the vehicle and everything and like little bits of like glass and debris everywhere and stuff. And it's just, it's that level that... That's what I love about this artwork, I guess. I, I It's me being a sucker for debris again, you know, like I am with other artists where I like art that's like got this like kind of like, um, crust about it and, and lots of like, kind of like small particles and things like that. Um, I'm very into my hyper detailed stuff. So like James Stokoe, um, I mean, you guys have seen James Stokoe's art, right? Yeah. So you know what I'm talking about when I say crust, as I've said on this podcast before, when I'm talking about like little particles and things like when you see, um, someone draw a broken window, but they don't just draw a broken window. They draw the fist going through the window and they draw all the little pieces of glass Mm. and things like that. And that, that's what I love. And, and this is the same in this. And, and that translates to the injury detail in some of the, uh, some of the parts of the book. Um, yeah. And it's a great story. And we, you know, we get a little bit of look at, the Punisher and his methods. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, we know he's not a nice man. He's not supposed to be a nice man. And, you know, he's not a nice man and he does not nice things, but he does it to help you sleep at night, or so he says to himself anyway. And that is Punisher Soviet.
and uh, yeah, it's it's pretty enjoyable. Um, and I would recommend it actually. And that's issue one. And I'm I'm hope I I want this to go deep. I I want to you know I want more of it because I like my gangster stories. I like my um I like my Punisher stories. Uh, like like I, I think I've mentioned on the cast before. I've been watching a lot of um like Narcos and things like that. Did I tell you guys about that? Yeah, 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 that kind of. So I'm, um, you know, that that kind of stuff kind of appeals to me anyway on a level. Um, and that is written by Garth Ennis, pencils by Jason Burrows, inks by uh, Guillermo Ortego, colors by Nolan Woodard, and uh, letters by Rob Steen. Uh, can and... I just shout? Because I haven't read the comic, but can I just shout out the cover by Paolo Rivera, which is gorgeous, like this um, noir sort of shady, shadowy image of like the punisher from lit from the top so his eyes are covered in shadow and like there's some like, some guy who i assume is in the comic but like they're both holding guns that have just recently yeah. been fired and there's like a connecting smoke yeah. between the barrels of each of the guns it's yeah. really cool well yeah i mean that's the cover i have with the hammer and sickle in the background mm. yeah i love i love the font used on it and everything now obviously it's got the hammer and sickle motif and everything and um it is called punisher soviet so i'm hoping they go back in time at some point and they go back to Soviet Russia because I'd hate for it to be called Punisher Soviet, and the only, and have a hammer and sickle on it, and the only reason for that to be the Russian connection, hmm. because all of that's been over and done with for a long, long time, <laughs> you know. Mm. So you know, I, I, yeah, I'd like them to go back in time, and maybe maybe some of it takes place in the eighties or the uh, uh, late seventies or something, which would be pretty cool. Um, moving on from there. We have the second book in the uh, the Hill House comics line. Now, this is uh, the first of two uh, Joe Hill books that we're going to be talking about today, and this is the Dollhouse Family. Uh, this is the second book in the Hill Hill House comics line. The second book uh, to hit the shelves um, in as many months. Yeah, I'm writing that, saying that. I'm writing, saying that. Uh, it's the Hill, Hop, Hill House Comics pop-up line that has uh, been done via DC Black Label that DC are putting out. It's like this uh, pop-up horror comics line curated, and some of it is created by Joe Hill himself. Um, and, uh, yeah, so this is basically coming out all guns blazing. I mean, like, the second one in the line, and it's it's packs a punch. Um I'm almost going to, I know, I'm going to say it, I like this better than Basketful of Heads. So, um, and, uh, well, do I like it better or do I like it for different reasons? We'll see. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I, I, I love both of them. Uh, I just, you know, this, this, I think this appeals to me more and you're about to find out why. So I feel like this gives you more right off the bat. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, carry on. Um, so to read the blurb, on Alice's sixth birthday, her dying great-aunt sent her the birthday gift she didn't know she always wanted. A big, beautiful, 19th century dollhouse, complete with a family of antique dolls. In no time at all, the dollhouse isn't just Alice's favourite toy, it's her whole world. And soon, young Alice learns she can enter the house to visit a new group of friends straight out of a heartwarming children's novel, The Dollhouse Family. But while the dollhouse family come with her, uh, welcome her with open arms, in the real world her family's life is becoming much more complicated and deep within the dollhouse's twisting halls the black room waits with an offer to Alice. The house can fix all this, the black room says. All she has to do is say the words. So, um, 
yeah, I mean, long-time collaborators, so to finish the rest of the blurb, long-time collaborators Mike Carey and Peter Gross uh, are joined by Vince Locke uh, to bring their most horrifying vision yet to Hill House Comics, a story that echoes into centuries past, into Alice's tormented future, and into the beating heart of the madness that makes up our world, literally. Also, it includes Chapter 2 of Sea Dogs, which uh, I think I mentioned in the last cast... <laughs> was like kind of the thing that was like making me buy these books <laughs> because uh, I mean I would buy them anyway but I think it was just like I was I was was I I think I was slightly annoyed wasn't I Ray about the fact that they were sticking like a chunk of another story at the end of each one so that I'd have you, to buy every single one to read you the were story. we we both were and I'm particularly annoyed at the um at how much or how much sea dogs we get in this or should I say how little sea dogs we get in this one yeah, I know it's it's so irritating, isn't it? <laughs> but yep. it's it's also really good because I love sea dogs. But yeah, um, so yeah, to give you the uh, the full creative team for this one, we've got uh, written by M R Carey, layouts by Peter Gross, finishes by Vince Locke, colors by Chris Peter, letters by Todd Klein, include sea dogs by uh, Joe Hill, written by Joe Hill, art by Dan McDade, colors by John Callis, and uh, letters by Wes Abbott. So. Um, yeah, I'm going to open with the fact that I love where this story is going. I love the mystery, the historical elements, um, the cosmic horror edge that we have here at the beginning of the book. And I like how all these threads are going to converge or how it looks like all these threads are going to converge. Um, I like the forces at work here. Um, and this is what has me interested because it kind of like as well as telling the story and and telling me that you know the the weird thing that is happening and showing me the weird thing that's happening it's explaining it <laughs> and and that that for me is like the yes because i'm getting my little bit of you know i'm getting my my horror story and i'm also getting my my peek into what this is and why this is, you know, which I, I, I kind of, yes. And it's like, there's some kind of evil force at work as part of the dollhouse. And it kind of speaks to me on multiple levels, as you guys are probably aware, because you know, I'm a big Lovecraft guy. And, um, like I, I love my Lovecraftian horror and my cosmic horror. And this kind of has that, which mm -hmm. I really, really like. Um, it has definite shades of lock and key as well. I must say, like yeah, I picked up some of that. Yeah, there's a little bit of lockhouse in there. So I mean, like, who else read? Did you read? You read this, didn't you, Leon? Yeah, I did. So, so like, what's your impressions of this then? I thought it was a pretty um, solid hook. Uh, you know, my common complaints on every episode I'm on about issue ones and yeah. How often it just feels like only a taste. And, and I think this one manages to have a very good setup in there. Yeah. Uh, especially with its multiple timelines. Mm. And I think we get a complete chapter in, in this first issue. And that works better for me than yeah. here's a sprinkle of the world and a bit of the mystery and more so... This is 
what's going on and we're going to end you with something fucked up and i'm like okay i'm in it has a very definite end doesn't it yeah i really i really <laughs> like about sorry i couldn't help but laugh at myself there yeah don't you also get like um sort of vertigo vibes from it but like from last decade like the orcs kind of um like, and it's the layout and the way it looks i mean in a good way yeah but yeah kinda. i was getting that sort of nostalgia from it i don't know it didn't have enough punk going on there weren't enough safety pins in its jacket ah uh, see there's only a handful of of those that i i want uh red i should say yeah uh, it reminds me of a lot of the books i was reading um last mm. decade I mean, I can definitely see where you're coming from, but for me, it didn't have enough, like, spit in your face. Because Ver Vertigo had a lot of spit in your face. I think. If I'm right. <laughs> I mean, that's 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 the way I interpret it, anyway. But, um, but yeah, I, get, I, get, I definitely get where you're coming from. I mean, like, it's this whole twisted fairy tale fantasy thing, which kind of... Hits on a lot of that, and it feels—it actually feels quite image comics as well, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it's funny, yeah. Um, with like the main story being uh, set in England. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, the art is like absolutely gorgeous. It has this like uh, quality of like an old children's book, um like old children's book illustrations and also at the same time it's it has the quality of the the like these 18th century etchings so it, it kind of does both at once it like embodies both spirits um it kind of lends itself beautifully to both threads of the tale that way because when we are um in the kind of in the is it the 70s isn't it I believe it starts in 79 and then about four years pass. Yeah, so like in when we're in the late 70s and the 80s, it's um, it's a little more like, well, the, the, the present in this book, shall we say, it, it kind of, it has, it takes on the, the, the children's book quality, the the old style children's book illustration. And, um, but also like the artwork stays very much the same, but when it goes back in time, it takes on that 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 eighteenth century etching quality, but the artwork doesn't really change at all. It just you feel differently about it because of what it's describing, and I quite like that about it. Like it's very chameleonic in that way. It kind of like flips between the two moods very well, and it works very well with both threads of the story. That's what I thought anyway, um, and it's like these like fine lines and high detail. Uh, especially, I mean, when they're in the dollhouse as well, that's when it gets really children's book, and that's really cool. Uh, because when they're in the dollhouse, I um, the backgrounds go white, and you get these kind of like um, these. It, it almost like it has this almost like uh, watercolor quality, doesn't it? Um, yeah, I'm just yeah. Looking no, through the book now, looking for an how, example. Like, the the colors transition from the white um, out to the background color. Yeah, exactly. Sort of yeah, watercolor painting. So it, it's like it's like a watercolor painting on a page of a children's book. Like you know, like when you you have these like um, 
these old children's books and like I'm thinking like uh, old copies of Alice in Wonderland or something and you'll have like writing on one side then on the other side you'll have this little watercolor painting of like the hair or something like that yeah yeah the mad uh, yeah or the mad hat like or the old the old like lithographic images you'd get in old like Victorian books for example yes yes and then it does the etching thing um mm. with like the old style like uh, etchings or whatever that you will get and that that's like the 18th century etching stuff comes up when they go back in time uh, but but it's the same art style it's the same artists it just takes on a different quality because it's describing something different and they don't alter the style in any way and it just works for both threads so well like two sides of a coin it's great um and yeah it just has this this twisted fairy tale fantasy element that i love it's really cool um and yeah hill house comics has come out of the uh out of the gates all guns blazing as far as i'm concerned i mean like that's that's all i've got to say about it because i i, I actually thought i thought it was brilliant i really enjoyed it and the cosmic horror element at the beginning has me hooked uh you've got this kind of like um this character that kind of falls to earth and do you know what my first thought was when i when i looked um at the fourth panel on the first page when you see like this cosmic creature this black shadow with like lightning in its eyes all the um the fire around it and everything else my first thought was curse words because <laughs> i was thinking of um you know the uh the bad guy from curse words syzygy mm. the like multicolored magic guy who's also a black hole like him he's kind of like he looks like a black hole um he it, it, that that was my first thing like syzygy Sigis in this, but yeah, it's it's that kind of that kind of um, kind of character design. That's really cool. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, so I am all for the Dollhouse family, and I think if the rest of Hill House Comics continues to be this strong, then yeah, it's going to do really well. Um, so uh, I guess that brings us on to our third and final book today, which was a new one-shot in the Lock and Key universe, and that is, um, well, it's, it's on IDW Comics, of course, but this is Lock and Key Dog Days. Uh, your creative team on this one is, uh, you've written by Joe Hill, art by Gabriel Rodriguez, colours by Jay Fotos, and letters by Sean Lee. You've also got a second story in here called Nailed It, which is Joe Hill, Gabriel Rodriguez, Jay Fotos, and uh, on letters this time you've got Robbie Robbins. Um, and uh, not that there is a lot of lettering in that second one. I think there's only like one speech bubble right at the very end. Um and uh, a little bit of logo design and stuff, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's really cool. It's like an, it's an awesome, awesome book. Uh, let's start with Dog Days. So all of us read this, right? Yeah, I this was is, very excited for this one. This is the one that all three of us read. And yeah, uh, yeah so this comic was absolutely fantastic fun. I was going to say that first of all. So, uh, the blurb here, we've got two new stories by creators Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez. Nailed it in Dog Days. Um, 
plus a behind-the-scenes tease of the coming TV series and a five-page preview of an all-new series by Hill and artist Martin Simmons, which is... uh, Is it Dying is Easy? Which Mm -hmm. is the... um, Yeah, it's... uh, That didn't vibe well with me. I wasn't into it. The preview didn't do anything for me for that, but we'll come on to that. But yeah, I mean... um, So Dog Days is this kind of like this, this... gorgeous cute little story uh from the get-go and like even the book actually has this like fantastically cute cover of this kind of like warped corgi face like swimming in the water trying to snatch a key with two kids fishing um is it a corgi i think it's a corgi isn't it oh you're asking the wrong person mate (laughs) looks like a corgi it looks like a corgi yeah i mean it's a really freaky looking dog because it's all like swizzled around in the water yeah but I, I, I feel like it's a corgi. It looks like a corgi to me. The guy at the comic shop, when he sold me it, told me he thought it was a sheep. Shiba Inu. But I was like, nah, man, that's a corgi. It's got stubby-ass little legs. I mean, it's generic dog to me. It's a dog, and they're all the same. Yeah. How dare you? <laughs> Very easily. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it was um, it was great fun. Um the cover's fantastic, like I was just saying there. It's like this dog in the water, and I, I love it. Um, it wasn't quite yeah, what I was expecting it to be. Because I, I wanted... I think I was talking to you this about this last time, Ray, wasn't I? That I wanted a silent story about a dog trying out different keys. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, it's not quite that. No. But, yeah, it's, um, it's a dog playing with keys, anyway. Uh, but, yeah, it's like... You get these, um, it's a, it's like, yeah, it's a short story comprised of seven five-panel comics. Each five-panel comic is kind of laid out vertically, and you've got like a gag or a punchline at the bottom of each one. So it's like a five-panel joke comic kind of thing that you might, like a newspaper strip almost, mm-hmm. I guess is the vibe I got from it. Um and I do love the way it's laid out, uh, laid out even like a like an old newspaper strip or like an old vertical comic strip. Uh, and it's each comic, each five panels is laid over a a background image that kind of ties into that part. It forms part of the story. Um, and the art has this kind of like old cartoon strip quality that I love with these kind of like um, goofy cartoon strip looking kids doing goofy things. Yeah, kind of like old Archie slash, uh, like, the Little Rascals kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm. it's got that kind of, quali- like, newspaper strip kind of, like, uh, goofy cartoon kids, which I love. Um, and um, as you're reading it, like, one of the kids just seems a lot weirder than the other two. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, well, like, the whole thing is that this kid... Am I, am I, I mean, is it spoilers if I do this? Should I say it? I don't think it's a spoiler to reveal. I think it's, I think it's very clear from the get-go, but it... It's quite evident, uh, but yeah. It's quite evident, but it also, like, it seeds it very slowly, I think. But I don't think it's a spoiler to mention what the the conceit is. It seeds it slowly, but the whole point is that this dog has used um, one of the keys and has become a kid for a day and uh, is hanging out with the other two boys and... um, he basically like they they talk about what they enjoy doing or they're doing something and this kid will be doing something like 
major weird or say something major weird at the end. That's kind of like the, the structure of each kind of like uh, five panel comic because it's like it, it's five panels including the background. So you've got like four and then five is the background. But um, it's like uh, each one kind of like the last, the, the end part is like this kid saying something like really weird that the other two kids are like, eh? but then you realize, oh, he's a dog kind of thing, like drinking from the <laughs> toilet and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, but yeah, um, it's, it's really cute in that way. And it, it's kind of like, uh, I, I just like the idea of it. I like the innocence of it actually. Mm. Like for, for a lock and key story, it's got a lot of innocence about it and a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of heart. And it, it's something that I, you know, something that I really enjoyed about it, actually. And and then I like at the very end that the other two kids are like, let's be dogs. And then they're all dogs together. And yeah, it's just it's just such a sweet book. Um, and yeah, it's it's just gorgeous in that way. So, Ray, I mean, like, what were your feelings of the first story? So we just we'll just go through like you, you let you and Leon discuss a little bit. I mean, I absolutely loved the opening story. I like for a start, it opens on like a, a black and white line art page of where well, it says the story so far, and it shows the dilapidated remains of um, of Keyhouse, which is like this gorgeous line art that I really liked. And then it it very quickly goes into like you said the um, however many pages it is of this four four panels on top of like a contextual splash page overlaid. Yeah. And I, I really like the the setup because, like you said, it, it is basically a series of almost separate comics that you would you know maybe get one per day in the newspaper. Yeah. Uh, but like this really heavily detailed and really like gorgeously coloured in, um, like little panels on the foreground and then a really beautiful splash page in the background, which has always has like it always has more detail than I. Uh, Every time I look at the background, I find more yeah. detail in it than I did the time before, you know? Yeah. Like, for example, on page one, because um, I was so busy focusing on what was happening in the foreground and trying to piece together what was going on with this weird kid who's, you know, behaving slightly animalistic. Uh, the next time I read it through, I noticed that the the shimmer in the water is in the shape of his face, like staring at his own reflection in the water, which is, you know, like beautiful little details like that. Yeah. And um, I, I like that, you know, how you said each one is basically... The kids being kids, and then the dog kid does something dog kiddish. Yeah, and you'd think that joke would get tired, but it really doesn't because there's no. a lot of heart to what it is, and you can tell yeah. that the kids are really enjoying themselves in each other's company, but also enjoying the setting that they're in because it's all yeah. with the backdrop of Keyhouse, and you know they're just discussing the life that they live, and you get to see the the beautiful surroundings, like in the nature surrounding the house, and they're just in you know enjoying their their summer day in it. Yeah, and I just I really like that. Um. The 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 thing I loved about this book as a whole is that I wasn't expecting the one-two punch. I had no real idea what this book was going to be other than just a one-shot comic about a dog and uh, a dog chasing the animal key that we've seen from the, you know, the original Lock and Key series. Yeah. I don't know if I want to talk about what, um, what's the next one called? Uh, Nailed it. Nailed it. I don't think I want to talk about what Nailed It is because I, having not expected it, I didn't know there was going to be more to it beyond the dog story. This was like genuinely touching. I was genuinely quite emotional reading this. 
Um, and like you said, it's a it's a silent comic. There's only one real you know piece of uh, dialogue or monologue at the end of it. But it's it's doing something that if you're a fan of the Lock and Key series, this this will likely touch you in a really like I don't know deep place. And I don't know if I want to reveal that for other people. Mm. But needless to say, I think as an entire package, these two stories together are really wonderful. They, I think they they work really well together in like you have the levity of the first story and then the emotional punch of the second. And I just think it's a it's one of my favorite purchases lately. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I really enjoy that. I, I think that the colors in the first part of the story, they add some like real whimsy to it as well. Mm, like yeah. with, you know, like add, add a little bit, a layer of whimsy to it. Or a whimsy is a very good word for this yeah because yeah, it is it is very whimsical the first story mm. especially is super whimsical but um yeah so the second story is like a teaser for things to come i believe and um it's just it's more lock and key um it is the uh the lock family um uh, and uh there's some really cool like single panel work and splash page work in it actually because there's a lot of it where it's just like one big panel. And um it's it's kind of uh gorgeous in that way in that they, you know, um he's like they're remodeling the house by the looks of things. And they do it by building a special key um and they build the key to remodel the house by the looks of things uh and it just um yeah it's just really cool how it plays out it's basically like the step by step of a day's work building this key creating a lock for it and then using this magic key um and yeah uh i just you know, I just wanted to draw attention to the the really cool single panel work in it, and the the fact that it got me hype for things to come from Lock and Key, which I'm really really excited for. Whatever they do with this franchise, because I love it. Um, whatever they do with this story further forward, because I love it. Um, it's got this like really really something that Gabriel Rodriguez really does well. He does this like this thing with the framing. Like the the framing of the panels and the perspective and everything else, it's always like done in such a really gorgeous way, and he always manages to um, to like, get the the scale, like to show the scale of Key House and and the magic of Key House. It's and 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 like he manages to just and en- and. En- en- encapsulate that and i think it's like we've um we've talked about this before but i think he has a background in architecture doesn't he yeah and, i think i think we did yeah. talk about that in the past yeah, yeah and um he just like it just shows because the way he he draws the building and the way he gets the scale of the building and everything else in uh and the, it, the scale versus everybody else when they're walking around and everything and just the perfect framing of it and the, the perspective that you get where the, the way he manages to show the scale in the panels as in the perspective he gives you like when things are gargantuan they are gargantuan like the size of this building it may it you you feel dwarfed by it when you're reading it if you understand what i'm saying yeah um, there's a, a weight and a realism to his work yeah exactly and it yeah. just looks just looks so good like that and it was just a nice little one shot and return to the magic of key house for me i i just thought i thought it was great and i i 
I love I love silent comics anyway, and this kind of like hit the spot, even short but sweet. Uh, this and Dog Days together make for a really nice one shot, and um, I'm glad I picked it up. Uh, Leon, you read this right? Yeah, I'd echo uh, a lot of what you guys said. To be honest, um, especially I think the use of the like textual location art is just amazing, and um, the structure and layout of it is just so nice to look at. And it's it's funny because it's a it's a comic book series that I adore, but I'd be completely happy if they were just completely done with it. Um, but the little uh, snippets we've had in some of these one shots um, have been quite nice. And like this comic, uh, I found it is fun and playful. I found it quite slight. It's like a nice story, but it's a nice story that I would like to have as part of something else, like a, a, yeah. a, be like a distraction you... or a little break in a, in a bigger story. Because by itself. Yeah. Uh, it's not it's not really the type of story to 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 hook me in that in that way. A short even story I enjoyed it. in a collection of short stories would be great. Yeah, I but, can imagine but then agreeing yeah. with what Rahul said about the one-two punch. I think I'm more positive on the book uh, overall because I do think the nailed it a story gave me something that I wasn't expecting and yeah. definitely wasn't expecting to enjoy. Yeah, and just there's like a, a a like a series of panels a page um showing a series of panels that i wouldn't really get into that uh it did warm my heart a little and uh <laughs> it, it did excite me and i wasn't expecting that at all but, yeah. um yeah it, overall it, it was a book that i was, I was like man it's like this is enough but i think it, it was it's, it's a good sort of taster teaser yeah i like i like these other stories surrounding key house that we've been getting as well in the one shots i do really like them Mm. Um, I think my favourite is still the one about the boy going to the moon. That is very sweet. That's yeah. a very sweet story. Yeah. That one's still my favourite. Um, but yeah, I, I, what was that one called again, Ray? I can't remember. <laughs> oh, not a clue. Don't put me on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that one, that one's still my favourite one. And uh, yeah, I, I, I really do love me some Lock and Key. And uh, yeah, this was a, it was a great a great little one shot and a great comic. Um, like you say, Leon, I think it might work better if it was collected with a bunch of other one shots, um, like a, a book of like Lock and Key short stories. But yeah, um, as for Dying is Easy, the one shot at the back of the book, um, that didn't do anything for me at all. Uh, just did not hook me in at all. I I'm sorry, but that fell flat for me. I don't know about you guys. Um, I don't know if you've got any thoughts or feelings on that. <laughs> uh, I I didn't read it. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it fell flat for me. It wasn't... I don't know. It just didn't have anything to hook... Maybe it's just me, my personal taste, but it didn't have anything that hooked me in. It wasn't, it wasn't for me. Um, but yeah, the rest of this book was brilliant. I love it. Um, I I I quite like the artwork in it, um, oh, like yeah, just the yeah. the colourfulness and the abstractness of like. Oh yeah, the um, art's the art's fantastic, all... but the actual substance of it. I don't, well, I don't know. It felt a bit like a drug trip, and it's like watching this comedian crash and burn because he's not actually trying to say anything funny. It's almost like he's so. It's about a, an ex cop who is on a on a stage in a comedy club, and he's talking about the most miserable, depressing like things that he's seen as a homicide detective. Um, 
uh, before he was disgraced and we never learn exactly why but i don't know it, it sort of captured me i think it's the content of what he's saying i don't like but then i'm not i don't think i'm supposed to like it i think we're supposed to be put off by this guy who's um trying to find his outlet by just you know speaking in front of a, a crowd who are there to be entertained but are not entertained by his you know dour bullshit um it, weirdly i kind of i kind of it kind of hooked me towards the end. I kind of want to know because it cuts off a conversation right in the middle, and I kind of want to know what they say next. But we don't have it, so I I don't know. I think I'll I might follow up on it and see what it's about. But like yeah, that whole thing about it not appealing to you, I get why because the content is really miserable. They're kind of like really leaning into the shitty language and saying shitty things, and it's about you know the uh, the kind of comedians that we. Um, you know, we we point at these days as like what not to do. Like you can't just get away with saying awful things because they're funny to you. I think it's leaning a bit towards that, and I wonder where it's going to go with it. So I don't yeah. know. I yeah. even just for the artwork, I think it's this beautiful hazy drug, almost like drug fueled psychedelic art style. Yeah, where it's almost like there's Vaseline on a camera screen and on on a camera lens, and everything's like blooming and bright and colorful. Like I kind of like it. No, yeah, it's it's kind of it, it, the artwork's beautiful, but like like mm. you say, it just didn't appeal to me. Full stop. But yeah. Um, also, before we carry on, the uh, the story about the moon set in the Lock and Key universe that was called Open the Moon. Open the Moon. Yeah, there we go. That's my favorite one. It's my favorite one shot so far because that actually brought me to tears a little bit. That's <laughs> Eisner winning one shot. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Mm. That's what it is. Um, so yeah, that was the uh, Lock and Key Dog Days. And uh, I think that wraps us up. I think we're done. We don't have any does. more comics left to talk about. Um, and I think that's time to move on to the poll list. Go for it. Yeah. So, um, 20th of November 2019, which will be when this podcast is available... We have Ice Cream Man number 16, um, straight out. Uh, this one is called Tiny Lives, and the blurb is literally, whatever you do, do not read your daughter's diary. Um, this one looks really interesting. We've got the uh, the man himself, Rick, the Ice Cream Man, playing with little figurines, dolls on like a... Um, uh, what do you call those scale models of cities? There's like a proper name for them. Like, I don't know, like a model city? Is that what it is? <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, I can't remember. I, I'm, there's a word I'm looking for that I can't remember, but he's playing with little dolls on a, like a little, uh, a diorama. That's it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah, there we go. Um, and uh, some of them have fallen over and some of them are bleeding and he's got his horrible grin on his face and, you know, the usual stuff that you would expect from a, another great issue of Ice Cream Man. Uh, the second thing I've got on the list is the question, the deaths of Vic Sage, number one, which is... Um, it's a DC Comics Black Label thing. And uh, for years, Vic Sage has sworn the fa has worn the faceless mask of the question to clean up the streets of Hub City by sheer force of will. He knows right from wrong. He knows black from white. But what happens when he's drawn into a conspiracy that reaches from the heights of Hub, power, Hub City power to the depths of its underground tunnels? What happens when things stop being black and white and start getting a little grey? 
and what happens when, in a secret chamber deep beneath the city, Vic Sage meets his own end and his new beginning. Eisner-winning writer Jeff Lemire joins forces with the legendary art team of Dennis Cowan and Bill Sinowicz to resurrect Vic Sage, only to destroy him all over again and again. So, yeah, we, uh, we get in a question story. Now, um, this is like uh, fairly um, front of front of my mind at the minute because of the whole Watchmen thing that's happening right now. Um, with the question being the basis for the character of um, uh, Rorschach. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, and it sounds pretty cool. I, I, I want to read a question story and that sounds cool to me. So let's go. Uh, Batman White Knight presents Von Freeze. Uh, so this is like a, I think this is a one shot uh, within the Batman White Knight stuff, and uh, it's Batman White Knight presents Von Freeze. So this is about Mister Freeze, uh, Victor Von Freeze, and um, it's just the world. It's the, it's a, it's a standalone tale in the world of Batman White Knight. Uh, on the night of Bruce Wayne's traumatic birth, Victor Freeze must intervene to save the lives of Martha Wayne and the future Batman. As the evening unfolds, Victor distracts Thomas with the incredible tale of his own father figures, one a Nazi, the other a Jew, and their complex connection to Wayne Laboratories. As the Third Reich roars into power, the deep friendship and working relationship between the Baron von Freeze and his research partner Jacob Smithstein is in crisis. Ordered by Himmler to speed development of their cryotechnology in service of world domination, Smithstein is forced to go into hiding and compromise his moral code in order to save his wife and infant daughter, Nora, from persecution and certain death. When the SS ramp up surveillance over the project, young Victor begins to question his father's true allegiance. Both families are driven towards an impossible choice and a sinister standoff, and Victor makes a pact with Smithstein that will ripple through generations. So... There we go. Um, an alternate take on a well-established Batman villain in the White Knight universe, which uh, I'm looking forward to. Uh, Sean Murphy, uh, uh, Sean Murphy, and Klaus Janssen. Klaus Janssen. So um, yeah, I'm down for that. Um, we have Annihilation Scourge Alpha, which is something to do with a big upcoming Marvel event, and I picked it purely because it has the Silver Surfer on the cover, um, and it's about the uh, the Marvel cosmic characters and the Negative Zone and Nova, and I'm down for some Marvel cosmicness. Um, purely from the characters on the cover, I've chosen this. <laughs> so yeah, let's go with that. Um, it looked kind of exciting, so I thought, oh, yeah, let's give that a go. There's another He-Man. Yeah, the He-Man Master of the Universe number one, so He-Man's back. Um, this is DC Comics, and um, I don't know, he looks kind of goofy on the cover. He's got like a kind of a weird face. You know what he reminds me of? Um, is it Beverly Hills Ninja? Um, with the um, the the chubby blonde dude trying to be a ninja, that that old comedy movie, am I right? <laughs> Not a clue, Craig. But yeah, uh, if you say so. Something's cool. about rings about. Mm. Yeah, he's got his. He looks like if you look at uh, He Man on this new He Man comic, he looks like Beverly Hills Ninja, <laughs> he, like facially and the hair wise. 
<laughs> yeah, I kind of see what you mean. <laughs> yeah. You get it? Yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Well, there we go. Yeah. Beverly Hills Ninja. So, um, <laughs> I'm just looking at pictures of Beverly Hills Ninja now and I'm like, yeah, I was on the money. But, uh, yeah. So, like, um, He-Man's back in another He-Man comic. Uh, he's, he's a rag, basically, um, it's like multiversal, multi-dimensional. Um, the scourge of Anti-Eternia is unleashed upon the multiverse. Is unleashed upon the multiverse, blazing a trail across the dimensions. He's devastating each version of Eternia and stealing its power. So now it's up to a ragtag team of surviving He-Men to recruit the one man in existence who might save them: Prince Keldor, the man who would be Skeletor. This all new series features the most iconic errors and beloved takes on Masters of the Universe. So it's basically just like. All the He-Men. Um, you've got uh, The Mask. I Pledge Allegiance to The Mask number two, which is something that we've talked about previously and we quite enjoyed. So check that out if you want some Mask comics. Uh, we've got a boom comic here called Heartbeat, which um, is a story about a girl, a, a girl at school who finds herself witness to the fact that the most popular boy in school enjoys the taste of blood and will kill to get his hands on it. Um, and it's she gets kind of pulled into his world and it's kind of about how that works and the, the play between the two characters. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, is she, is she willing to betray her moral code in order to find something that gives her life meaning? And, uh, will she, or this boy who likes the taste of human blood ever find redemption? So, yeah, I mean, he, she, she kind of gets fascinated by it and gets into it. And then it's about kind of like how that works. So, uh, that is Heartbeat and that is on Boom Comics. Uh, we've also got, uh, Olympia, which is something that I was very interested in, which is something on Image Comics. Uh, this is about Ellen, a latchkey kid who spends his days alone reading comic books until his favourite superhero, Olympian, comes crashing off the page and into reality. But as he nurses his wounded and delirious hero back to health, he discovers Olympian isn't the only thing that came through. Something evil followed him. Um, and that kind of really appeals to me. Um, it looks kind of cool as well. Uh, so, yeah, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I, I want to read that. Uh, Count Crowley, we looked at Midnight Monster Hunter number two. We really liked Count Crowley number one on the previous show, so check that out. Um, Hazel and Cha-Cha Save Christmas, Tales from the Umbrella Academy. And it, I think it is what it says on the tin. I think it's Hazel and Cha-Cha Save Christmas. So the your, your bizarre assassin friends, Hazel and Cha-Cha, um, they cross paths with a plot to discredit Christmas as they're tra uh, chasing down a, ra a rogue time agent. Um and uh, the cover looks great. It's got like the kind of like uh, classic -y old school Christmas thing going on, which I really like. Um, <clears throat> so the following week, which is the 27th of the 11th, we've got Tales from the Dark Multiverse Infinite Crisis, which is the next one in a line of Tales from the Dark Multiverse stuff that we've been reading. And uh, this one was DC's mega event, Infinite Crisis, which saw the destruction of the Trinity and the rise of Alexander Luther and Superboy Prime and the rebirth of the multiverse. But it all started with Ted Cord, the Blue Beetle. 
We saw it all coming and died with secrets that could have saved the world. But things happen differently in the Dark Multiverse. Not only does the Blue Beetle survive, he thrives. And after killing Maxwell Lord himself, Ted sets off a chain of events that irreversibly alters the lives of the Justice League and his best friend, Booster Gold. In trying to prevent a crisis, Blue Beetle becomes the crisis and the Dark Multiverse will never be the same. So that's another one that I'm going to check. We've got... Basketful of Heads number two, which, again, we discussed the first one, and we talked about the other thing in the Hill House comics uh, range that's now out, which is the Dollhouse family, and uh, all of it's really good, so get on that train, man. Get on it. Uh, John Constantine, Hellblazer number one. So uh, from the Sandman universe, we have John Constantine, who uh, is getting his own comic again. This is another DC Black Label thing. He's back in London, he's back to his old tricks, and this time, as things have become very dark indeed in his old stomping grounds, a small-time gang lord has found himself dealing with a big-time outbreak of supernatural weirdness. Without any allies to call on and nothing left to call his own, John doesn't have much choice about taking a paycheck from one of London's worse, or accepting the help of one of the gang lord's would-be foot soldiers. But what should be an open-and-shut exorcism turns out to be nothing, uh, uh, nothing but... And the author of this madness may just be getting started on their terrible masterpiece. So this is like the original Constantine and he's back. Um, and this is like Cy Spurrier of The Dreaming and Aaron Campbell of Infidel. Um, and he's got nothing to his name but decades of bad memories and an unearned second chance. And how exactly will he squander it? There's only one way to find out. So, yeah, you fancy yourself some John's Constantine, that's where you go. We've got Conan 2099, number one, which... Uh, this kind of struck me purely for the uh, the ridiculousness of Conan in the year 2099. <laughs> so, eons from home, the barbarian battles the civilization of 2099. Uh, in the far-flung future of 2099, will barbarism finally triumph over an endangered civilization? When Conan the Barbarian entered the Marvel Universe in the Savage Avengers, he stayed to conquer and claim his kingship in the modern times. Now cursed by a mystic to live beyond his years, when Conan's new kingdom is threatened, he swings his blade once more. But as the calamity in 2099 bears down on his scheduled realm, will the future shock unseat the Barbarian King as an unforgettable chapter unlike anything you've ever seen in the saga of Conan? So, yeah, it looks like he's got a laser sword. Um... (laughs) But Marvel are doing the Marvel 2099 thing again, so uh, they're doing these uh, 2099 books again, and um, yeah, so Mar- uh, Conan 2099, why not? Uh, looks great, looks mad, looks like something I want to read. So we also have Witchfinder, the Reign of, a Reign of Darkness on the uh, uh, 27th of November, um, and that one is a... Dark Horse book uh, with Mike Magnola working on this. Uh, It's from the world of Hellboy. So, Sir Edward Grey takes on London's most famous serial killer, but is the only one who thinks Jack the Ripper's murders have an occult purpose. When Scotland Yard turns its back on him, Grey finds an ally in an American occult adventurer, Sarah Jewell, but the forces allied against their investigation are more powerful than either one of them imagines. So this was kind of cool. And uh, I like the fact that, you know, it's it's set in the world of... um, Hellboy and it's about Jack the Ripper. I, I love I love what that Mike the, the things that Mike Minola does with this stuff. Like he takes like um real life kind of stuff, like real life serial killer cases and things like that. He takes like uh things from 
real myths and legends, real old wives tales, whatever, and he works them into his comic. And it, I just I love that about Hellboy that it's kind of like this collection of uh, superstitions and myth and whatever, but in the pages of a comic and fleshed out and done in a really nice way. I really enjoy that about it. Um, so Ray, you have two comics. Yeah, I got two quick ones I want to shout out. Uh, one is Fantastic Four Grand Design number two coming out on the 27th of November. Um, you've talked about how much you enjoyed uh, Fantastic Four Grand Design number one, so just Bye. letting people know. Yeah. Um, and then Resonant number five, because I've talked a lot about how much I've enjoyed Resonant, at least issues one to three, I believe, but mm-hmm. this is number five coming out on the 27th. Uh, really good book. Recommend it. Yeah. Um, I, might not, I might not be around for the next show. <laughs> In fact, I probably won't be. So um, I think you'll be recording at the weekend I move house. <laughs> we will take care of your baby in your absence. Yes. So it'll just be uh, it'll be you two and possibly a guest hmm. if you manage to grab somebody. But yeah, um, that has been Ace Comicals episode number 76. You can find us in all the usual places that you go looking for podcasts. Uh, you can find us at www.acecomicals.com which is kind of the hub for everything that we do. Um, We are available everywhere, like I say. All the usual places you go looking for podcasts, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Castro, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn. You can find us on Twitter under Ace Comicals. You can find us on Facebook at Ace Comicals. You can find me on Twitter under at Bato, that's B-A-T-T-O-U. You can get involved with the conversation at us, DM us, Tell us if you you know you enjoy something. If you like what we're what we're talking about, then tell us there. Yeah? Um, you know, like uh, get involved in the conversation. And if you've been reading anything that we've talked about, give us your views. We'd we'd love to hear what you think. Um, also, you can email us at acecomicals at gmail Ray, where can we find you? On Twitter at Monke, so that's at M O O N K E H. You can find us on uh, Instagram under Ace Comicals as well. And Leon, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Leon Everett. Okay, so uh, thank you for listening. That has been Ace Comicals number 76, and that is Ace Comicals over and out. <laughs>